Thank you, my friend. Good morning. How are you? Uh, it's been it's been about 15 months, I think, since the last time Brandy and I were here, which is historically kind of outside the norm. Normally, we get to come, you know, every six months or so, and uh, it's pretty pretty awesome. I'm just going to do a slight little bit of rearranging right here. Um, it's but it's been a while. It's been about 15 months, like I said. Has uh, anything interesting happened since we've been gone? <laughs> a little little bit. Uh, the world went mad, so that happened. We got that going. Uh, a lot of things have happened. Globally, the world has changed drastically since the last time I was here. Um, regionally, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know your region is like all over the news. You're a big deal, and mostly not in a good way. I, I hope that doesn't burst your bubble at all. But but a lot's changed in kind of you know the Western Washington, Greater Seattle metro area. Uh, I'm guessing probably just in your own household. A lot has changed in the last 15 months. It definitely has in ours. Uh, we need five offices at our house now, so if you could help us out with that, that would be great. That's been a drastic change, but I would even go out on a limb so far as to say that I bet a lot of things have changed just kind of in the quiet, the inner workings of your own heart. A lot of things have probably changed since the last time that I was here. The world is, is really not the same. Um, we're living in a time that is pretty uncertain. Uh, a lot of people are uncertain about their jobs, their livelihood. What am I going to do for school? You know, what's, what are my kids going to do for school? How am I going to not kill my kids because they're not at school? There's just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety in our lives. I, I don't have to tell you that. But did you know that before COVID, before George Floyd, before the political season began to ramp up, before all of that, America was one of, if not the most, anxiety-riddled society on the planet. Uh, a study from Harvard Medical, pre-COVID, said that about 40 million American adults, now there's roughly 240 million adults, right, not counting kids, uh, about 40 million of us have a diagnosed anxiety disorder. So roughly one in six. So you can look around and you're, you know, where you're sitting and decide who that, that might be. But, but... The truth is, the rest of us are just worried. We might not have a diagnosed anxiety disorder per se, but we've got a lot of stuff to worry about. Uh, we have anxiety in our lives, for sure. Uh, that's, that's not a new thing. So, uh, I'm just going to summon my inner, uh, you know, older person. Uh, do you ever think to yourself, you reflect back when you were a kid and think, those were simpler times. You ever think those kind of things to you? You know why you think that? Because they were simpler times. They, they really were. Like, uh, how many of you as a kid rode your bike everywhere and never wore a helmet? I didn't own my first bike helmet until I was in my 30s. My kids have probably never ridden a bike without a helmet. Uh, how about when you were a kid, did you ride around in your parents' car without a seatbelt? Yeah. Uh, did anybody ever have a family car as a kid that didn't have seatbelts? Okay, those were simpler times. We, we probably should have been more worried, but we weren't. I remember one time, I was one of my earliest childhood memories. I was about maybe five years old or so around there. Uh, I'm riding along. I'm in the passenger seat of my mom's car. Now, first of all, no five-year-old would ride in the passenger seat now. Not a, with a booster seat. I'm just in the passenger seat, no seat belt, nothing. And my mom slams on the brakes for whatever reason, I don't know, but I just hit the floor right under the dashboard. And you know what happened after that? 
I got up, got back in the passenger seat, no seat belt, and we drove home. You would think that we would be worried at that point, right? But I, I tell you that to make two points, really. One, I was raised by lunatics. I think that's obvious at this point. Uh, and the other point is, we just didn't have as much anxiety. Even about things that we should maybe have been concerned about, we just, we just weren't. Anxiety has been on the rise for a long time in our society and, and probably in your life as well. Uh, if it hasn't been, you're beating the curve. You're beating the trend for sure. So what does the Bible say about anxiety? It says the craziest thing that just off the cuff might actually seem laughable. You know what it says in Philippians 4, 6? It says, do not worry about anything. Is that all? Just don't worry about it. Do not worry about anything. Some, uh, some of the older or more word-for-word translations say, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, does that sound possible? Like, does that sound like a reasonable instruction to you? I'm just going to go ahead and be honest with you and say, that sounds a lot harder than just don't be anxious about anything. That sounds like a really, really difficult task, but it kind of sounds like maybe God wants us to live, us, to live that way. So uh, I just want to say this as we are kind of going to get going. This is a message that is for everyone. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching online because somebody put it in front of you. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is a message for everyone. Whether you're young or old or in between, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter your race, we all are going to deal with anxiety. Students are going to deal with anxiety. Parents are going to deal with anxiety. Singles, senior citizens, all of us are going to wrestle with anxiety. In fact, um, if you have kids, shout out to all the kids here, by the way. Be a church kid. Being a church kid is awesome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, kids have anxiety. You may think that they're too young to have anxiety, uh, but when they're surrounded by it, they experience it. So what does the Bible say about anxiety? I want to just make a suggestion. I'm going to just suggest that as a society where we've had more wealth, we've had more technology, more education, better health care, more and better of everything over the last few years, and our anxiety has only increased, I'm going to suggest that we just take a minute and stop looking toward what hasn't worked in the past and look toward a new thing for a few minutes. So I want to just dive in. We're going to dive into Philippians chapter 4 and, uh, and see what the Bible says about anxiety. One of the most anxious seasons of my life was uh, about eight years ago when my wife Brandy and I, uh, we had been on staff here uh, at Celebration Center. We loaded up and we moved to Spokane to plant Center Church. And uh, a lot has changed there in the last year and a half as well. Uh, and you know, it's funny, uh, especially like moms and dads will totally relate to this. It's one thing to like quit your job and, you know, set off to try something new when you're by yourself. But when there's four other people depending on you for their livelihood, that's a whole different set of circumstances, right? And you know what I found? Uh, I'll call it desperation. The desperation of that season forced me to trust God. Now, as you experience anxiety, uh, if you're there right now, you don't want to hear this, but I, I'm going to tell you because it's true. Uh, being in a position where all you can do is trust God, that's your only option. That is far from the worst position you could possibly be in. I would even argue that it might be the best position you could be in. Ugh, I wish that wasn't the case. But that's, that's the truth. So, so I brought a picture. Uh, this is a modern-day picture. 
where something very, very important in New Testament history and actually world history happened about 2,000 years ago. Uh, this is a picture of a place uh, called Caesarea. We refer to it oftentimes now as Caesarea by the sea or Caesarea by the sea, depending on who you ask. It's right here in this very place where the Apostle Paul was loaded onto a boat as a prisoner and he was sent to Rome to await trial before Caesar. Now, he wasn't on trial for anything ridiculous. He didn't kill anybody. Uh, you know, he didn't, it wasn't tax evasion. He wasn't cooking meth. It wasn't anything crazy. He was on trial. He was arrested. He was a prisoner for doing exactly what I'm doing right now, telling people that Jesus is the answer to everything that ails humanity, that Jesus is actually the king. He was arrested. Now, prison, the prison that he went to, I have a picture of that as well. Uh, prison back then was not like it is today. I mean, I haven't been firsthand, but I hear um, that there are some amenities that they probably didn't have, like electricity. Uh, there's a whole bunch of prisoners crammed into one spot, and if it's not already intimidating to you, think about the fact that he might have been sharing that cell with like a half a dozen other people. No plumbing. That's not okay. Uh, the world has changed, thankfully. Uh, but, but just think about that situation that Paul is in. In this prison cell, awaiting trial before Caesar, full of other prisoners. And it's right here in this cell, you can actually go to this today, where he wrote some of the most encouraging and life-giving passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. He wrote a significant portion of the New Testament from this cell. Now, just think about the irony of that. Here he is in this situation, probably filled with anxiety, I would imagine, and yet he's writing words of encouragement that to date have been useful and encouraging to literally billions of people throughout, throughout history. Right here in this cell, Paul wrote the words, do not be anxious about anything. All of us are going to experience anxiety. Even Jesus, uh, if you read the story of the last few hours of Jesus' life, he actually literally sweat drops of blood because he was so overcome with stress leading up to his crucifixion. All of us are going to experience anxiety, but you don't have to live there. You don't have to stay there. So, just a disclaimer, I'm going to read um, a passage for you. I just want to say this, uh, mental illness is a real thing, and maybe you've been locked up in your house, not in a cell, but at home for a while, don't be afraid to ask for help if you need help. That's a real thing. A lot of people experience that. But I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, I hope that you'll be able to just take some of this to heart. Uh, there's some really, really encouraging stuff in here. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Uh, okay, so a couple of weeks ago, Brandy and I went to an undisclosed event uh, that I'm not going to make public because there's a possibility that somebody I know might watch this. It's on the internet, and, you know, it could go bad if it goes full circle on me. So, uh, so the names and places will be changed to protect the parties involved. But we were at an undisclosed event, and we, as we were headed there, I was telling Brandy, you know, some of my family was going to be there, and I said, hey, I got this uncle that I haven't seen for a while, uh, my Uncle Neil, let's go with that. Uh, uncle Neil's going to be there. 
Neil Armstrong, no one, no one. This is a tough crowd. Uh, my Uncle Neil's going to be there, and uh, I just want you to know, my Uncle Neil is one of the most negative, whiny, just, just pessimistic people that you are ever going to meet in your life, which is kind of why I haven't seen him in years. Uh, those two things are definitely connected. Like, he's just, he's just really down. So we get to the place, and I, I, uh, I walk up to him. I say, hey, Uncle Neil, how's it going? Well, been having a lot of trouble with my knee lately. I keep going back for tests, and those doctors, they just don't know what they're doing. It's just getting worse. Probably going to have to have it replaced. Uncle Neil did not disappoint. Uncle Neil is still on his game, just so you know. Uh, he did exactly what I expected him to do, even though I haven't seen him for a decade. Some people, including my Uncle Neil, have trained themselves to see the negative. And you know what happens when you train yourself to see the negative? You nail it every time. Like, you never leave disappointed if you're looking for the negative. If you want to find a problem, you are going to find it. I want to give you four tactics for combating anxiety. And the number one, number one is this, practice gratitude. The first tactic for combating anxiety is to practice gratitude. If I gave my Uncle Neil a piece of advice to crawl out of his mindset, it would be practice gratitude. Some of the most important treatment you can give your anxiety is to be grateful. Rejoice, as the verse says, about what God has done, who he is, what he's already given you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Practice gratitude. Now, it's not easy to see God's blessings in every situation. I acknowledge that. Um, you know, it's going to be really tough if you're going to rejoice, try to rejoice about, you know, global pandemic. Uh, don't rejoice about the global pandemic. Rejoice in spite of the global pandemic. This is why practicing gratitude is important. Uh, I'm big on sticky phrases. I think, I think they might be in your notes if you uh, saw those online. Here's a sticky phrase for you uh, that is really, really true. By practicing gratitude, we train ourselves to see God's blessings in every situation. By practicing gratitude, being grateful, we're training ourselves to see the good. You have never met a person who was both full of gratitude and anxiety, or a person who was focused on their blessings and focused on what they were lacking. Uh, it, it's impossible to do both of those at the same time. So the first one is practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. It will help you see your way out of anxiety. All right, let's read on. Verse, uh, verse 6, let's go there. It says, this is the key verse, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What do you do when you're worried? What's your, like, default mechanism? Uh, a lot of us start spinning it around over and over in their, our heads and start imagining, like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Uh, what do you do when you're anxious, when you're nervous? What is your default response to that? How do you respond to anxiety? Do you take part in negative self-talk? The second tactic for overcoming anxiety is prayer. Now, I know you're thinking, you're the pastor, you're supposed to say that. Uh, well, you're right. I am the pastor. I am supposed to say that. But at the same time, that's also the instruction that God has given us when we're, when we're nervous to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
Come to God. Make your request known to him. I like what another pastor said about it, a guy named Tim Harlow. He said, worry is a monologue. Worry is just me, like self-defeating talk. But prayer is a dialogue. Prayer involves faith. It's the second half of the monologue where um, I make my request known to God, and then I watch to see how he will respond. Uh, a few weeks ago, we, uh, we, had some, we had some trouble with our live feed on, uh, at Center Church in Spokane, where I'm the pastor, and we had a couple difficulties with it. So I was talking with our tech guy, and uh, he was kind of walking me through like, what we needed. One of the things we needed was a new camera, uh, a specific one that would work with our software, and so on and so forth. So I said, hey, that's great. Uh, just send me a link for the one you want. And uh, this is totally what my dad would do, right? Like, don't tell me the details. It doesn't mean anything. But just send me, just tell me what to click on, and I'll get it for you. So, so he did, and I did. And I went online, and I put the camera in my cart, and I filled out the shipping information, and I put in my payment info. And then the very last thing you do is you click the Submit Order button. So I clicked the Submit Order button, and I thought to myself, well, I'm probably never going to see that camera, but at least I threw some money out there just to cover my bases. No, of course I didn't think that. I fully expected the camera to show up, right? Well, why would I do that same thing with prayer? Why would I just say, well, it's probably not going to work, but I'm just going to, you know, throw it out there just in case so I cover my bases. Why, why would I pray and then not watch for God's response? One of the things we can watch for is right here in this verse. We can watch for God to respond by giving us his peace. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds, it says. This is our dialogue with God. We make our requests and our petitions to him, and then we watch for his peace. We expect that he will respond by giving us peace. Now, I'll just let you in on a little secret about the Christ-following life, the Christian life. It is a life of faith. It is a life of faith. It, without faith, there is no following Jesus. It is a life of faith. But something you can keep in mind, uh, I have a really smart friend named Paula. She's way smarter than me. Um, she pointed out one time, she said, you know, uh, as, as human beings, we have the option to live by faith in God or to live by sight in our circumstances. And she said, the difference is when you live by faith, when the darkness comes, you won't lose your way. And I was like, oh, that's good. I'm totally going to say that again. When you live by faith... Dark, light, doesn't matter. You won't lose your way. So prayer is our second, second tactic for overcoming anxiety. Number three, I got two more of them for you. The number three one is to change your thinking. Uh, I don't know about you, but like once I get going down the slippery slope of like fear and anxiety, like it accelerates quick. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like it can go from kind of bad to hole in the universe like in about four seconds. Uh, I, think, I think something that goes without saying, though, for us right now, uh, maybe it's not this way for you, but I don't have to look very far to find bad news. Uh, it seems like, you know, you turn on your social media feed, you turn on your TV, and like, boom, Eeyore's waiting for you. Except now he's angry, so he's even worse, right? Does anyone here not know who Eeyore is? Okay. Um, Eeyore, you know, the sidekick of Winnie the Pooh. Okay. He was just a victim. He, he, was, just, he was just always negative, and he was really melancholy, but now he's like mad. You turn on the TV, and he's waiting there to tell you why this thing's failing, and it's about to fail you too. Uh, that's, 
that's pretty much guaranteed. Now, uh, this might be a line of thinking that we could refer to as the pattern of the world because it's so common. It's such a common way to think, to look around for all of the things that are not as they should be. Uh, I got news for you. The entire world is not as it should be, but dwelling on it is not going to help. It's not going to help solve any of our problems. Now, are there legitimate issues that need to be addressed in our society? Yeah, of course, some big ones. We, we all, I think, probably agree on some level to that. But filling up our hearts and our minds, our thoughts on anger and strife, with anger and strife on an ongoing basis, that's not going to improve your life in any way. Not a chance. That's not going to do anything except make you more negative and angry. Thankfully, the Bible tells us what to do with that Eeyore mindset, or pretty well-known verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Don't think in the same pattern as the people who discourage you. Um, Dave Ramsey likes to say that you become the average of the 10 people you spend the most time with. Um, if the people you spend the most time with are on the screen telling you what's wrong with the world, you're going to become the average of that. Don't spend a lot of time and energy on the things that are going to discourage you. Uh, Brandy and I live in our neighborhood in Spokane. There's this weird dynamic in Spokane. I, I, sorry, I, got, I know. I'm going to social distance, but I just have to be a little closer to you because I'm such an extrovert. Uh, in Spokane, we have this freeze-thaw dynamic. So what happens is pretty much the entire year from like late October to maybe the middle of April or so, uh, it's above freezing in the day and below freezing at night. And so what happens is the ground freezes, thaws, freezes, thaws. And so uh, road crews will come in and put in a new street, and one winter later, boom, there's just cracks and potholes everywhere. If you've ever driven in Spokane, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, uh, several years ago when Hillary Clinton's campaign came through, she got in big trouble because someone on her campaign compared it to a third world, driving in a third world country. So, you know, apparently we're looking for something to get offended about. Yes, they knocked our streets that are full of potholes. Well, okay. Anyway, um, so in our neighborhood, our house was built in the 50s. And so as you go down the street, there are every like 20 or 30 feet, there's a crack that goes all the way across the street. And some of them are pretty wide, like maybe six, eight inches. And so I'm a sort of semi-mildly avid runner. And when I'm running down the street, this is what happens. Like, you have to watch where you're at because you could legitimately get really hurt if you step in one of these cracks. And so what I notice is that as I'm running along and I'm looking kind of down and in front of me, if I look at the crack, invariably, my steps will line up perfectly so I step right on the crack. It, invariably, if I'm focused on it, somehow, without even really trying, I'm going to shorten and lengthen my strides to the point where I, that is exactly where my foot goes. But if I look at the space one foot on the other side of the crack, where I do want to step, guess where my steps magically line up to? The space one foot on the other side of the crack. This is like a metaphor for life in so many ways. In life, most of the time, you're going to get what you go for. The problem is, I'm not always, like I might say I'm going for A, but my actions and my thoughts say that I'm going for B. I'm going to end up with B. You're going to get what you go for the overwhelming majority of time in life. So I got a sticky phrase for you. What you stare at, you step in. Don't stare at the things you don't want to step in. Stare at the things you do want to step in. Okay? I know. That's the Eastern Washington in me coming out. You're more sophisticated than that here. 
But what you stare at, that's where you're going to end up. You're going to get where you go for. That's been the, my experience all through life. So by that logic, it sounds like I should stare at something different. If I'm full of anxiety, if I have a situation that's, that's causing me to lie awake at night, to be worried, to be just generally unhappy, I need to stare at something different. I need to stare at something encouraging. The next verse, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about such things. Don't let your mind be constantly filled with other people's burdens, with anger, with self-loathing. Uh, I'm not saying be insensitive. What I am saying is you can't handle the burden of being the savior of the world. I don't, I don't want to burst your bubble, um, but not every burden is yours to carry. Uh, the burden that's yours to carry is to be grateful that God sent his son into the world to die for you. Don't feel like you have to carry the weight of the world. Don't set your mind on catastrophic, self-loathing thoughts. Uh, you know who Aesop is, Aesop's fables? He said the best thing. That just, it just cracks me up, but it's so true. He said, my life has been full of catastrophes, most of which never happened. Is, isn't, that just, isn't that the case? Once you get going down that slippery slope of negativity, it feels like all these things, you know, everything's going to go wrong, and most of it never happens in the first place. Uh, don't let your mind run with thoughts of discouragement and anger. A lot of our society is kind of dividing itself up into two groups, like the people who agree with me and the people I hate. That's not what we're called to. If they're going to do that, that's what they're going to do. But, but guess what? As followers of Christ, we have a much better, much better opportunity. So change your thinking. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Last thing, fourth tactic for combating anxiety, arm yourself for spiritual battle. Be ready for the battle that is going to come. Uh, one of the big problems with fear, at least in my life, maybe it's different for you, is that it has held me back from a lot of things that I might have done otherwise. Uh, maybe fear of what other people will say. I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast achiever, if you're you know, familiar with Enneagram and all that. And so uh, failure is like my shame word. It's like if, if I can avoid any one thing in life, it's going to be failing. So what I do sometimes is if I'm not sure that I'm going to be good at that, I just won't do it. Uh, okay, fear can hold us back from a lot of things that we might do otherwise. Erwin McManus said, said this in uh, his book, The Last Arrow. He said, what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. You will only in life go up to the boundary of what you're afraid of. The solution to that is, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious about anything. Did you know, this, this might blow your mind if you didn't know this, but did you know that the most commonly given directive in the Bible, the most common command, it occurs about 150 times, is do not fear. It's not don't lie. It's not be nice. It's not give a bunch of money away. It's not, it's not any of the stuff that people think about when they think of religious activity. The number one thing that God says don't do is don't be afraid, more than anything else. Uh, I, I was really surprised by that when I first found that out. 
There is nothing as powerful in the spiritual battle against anxiety is just arming yourself with God's words. So I made a list of them on the notes if you happen to have seen those. But I'm just going to roll through a few of them here real quickly. Um, you might want to jot a few of these down because I think some of these are circumstances you're going you're gonna to face. Uh, you ever lie awake at night, can't sleep, wheels, wheels are turning? You know what Psalm 4.8 says? It says, I will lay down and sleep, O Lord, because you alone cause me to dwell in safety. It's permission direct from God to say, you know what? I'm not going to carry that burden anymore. It's too heavy for me. And let it go. It's permission to let God have it. I, I've, I've said this to myself laying in bed before, and I just kind of get the picture of, of the author writing it, just being like, you know what? I'm just done. I just can't carry it anymore. God, you're going to have to carry it, or it's not going to get carried, but I can't do it anymore. Uh, ever been paralyzed by indecision? options are before you, or you have maybe an opportunity, but you're not sure if it'll succeed. Job 17.9 says, the righteous keep moving forward, and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. I don't know what God's will for you in every situation is, but I do know, according to Scripture, that it's not for you to be stuck. The righteous keep moving forward. Uh, this is a big one for me when you're worried about failure, Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The first thing I should do in any endeavor is commit it to God. Uh, how about just dealing with general anxiety? This is one I'm sure many of you will know. Probably somebody has a coffee cup with this verse on it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, you ever worry about the future? What might be? What's out there somewhere? There's a really beautiful story in Matthew 7. Jesus tells, uh, gives this analogy. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Build your foundation on the rock. Last one I'll mention, there's hundreds and hundreds of them, but uh, you ever worry about money? Anybody ever been worried about losing their job? What's going to happen economically? Uh, that's been a, a big one for a lot of families. Man, there's nothing more powerful than just thinking about the implications of the 23rd Psalm. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know Psalm 23. If you've ever seen like a mobster movie, uh, I don't know, Italians really like the 23rd Psalm for some reason. But think about the implications of this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Whose responsibility is it? God's got you. It's the shepherd's responsibility. I love the way, I love the way it ends. It's a short psalm. It's only six verses. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house forever. Surely God's goodness and mercy are going to follow you every day of your life. And guess what? When it's over, you're going to live in his house for eternity. That's good news. The story ends well for you. The story is going to end well. The voice of evil is going to come in the form of fear. Often. It often does. And it makes sense because it's the one thing that God says more than anything else, don't do this. So of course it's the one thing that Satan wants to do in your life. But if you'll arm yourself for the spiritual battle, 
arm yourself against fear, fill up on God's word, then you can expect the same outcome that Paul got in Philippians 4, the last section that I just want to read to you, the last three verses. This is the outcome. This is what, uh, this is what happened when Paul decided, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm going to trust God. Verse 11 says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, Celebration Center, Brandy and I love you. Uh, we've we've been gone kind of a long time right now, but but truthfully, like this right here, this is a sacred space for us. Uh, it, it really is. Uh, we have a strong spiritual and emotional attachment to this church family and to this place. Uh, and I know that God has a path forward for you as a church and for you as a household and for this community. But I just, I just want to, I just want to ask you to do me this quick favor. Uh, whether you know me or you don't know me, maybe you're, you're watching online. Maybe we've never met before. That's okay. I just want to ask you, just for this one moment, just, just trust me enough to be your spiritual authority and just receive what I, I want to say to you. It's straight from the scripture. It's not, it's not my own words. But will you just receive it as, uh, just with the knowledge that God, is sovereignly brought me all the way here today to tell you this. Don't be anxious about anything. You can do all things through Christ who will give you the strength. Whatever's lying out in front of you that you're apprehensive about, don't be anxious about anything. You can do all things through Christ who will give you the strength today and tomorrow and the day after that. I look back at my life 43 years have gone by, and every single day I had what I needed. You know how you know? Because here I am. Guess what? Tomorrow is probably not going to be any different, because I have all these thousands of days where God provided for me to look back on as evidence. Don't be anxious about anything. So I just want to pray together, and I I just want to trust God. I want to look for his response as we pray, believe that we're going to be less anxious as individuals and as a collective in the days ahead as we trust God together. So uh, let's just do this little exercise together. Uh, not like actual exercise, don't get me wrong. Um, do me a favor, though. Just, just raise your right hand. Just, go, just put your, your hand up here. You're not being drafted or anything. Don't be afraid. Um, although this is on the Internet, so. Uh, do this and repeat after me. I hereby relinquish my control of the universe. To God, I admit it's too much for me to manage on my own. Awesome, you nailed that. Uh, Guess what? You're not in charge of the universe. That should be good news, if you're wondering. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we are uh, just comforted by knowing that ultimately... Not a hair is going to fall from our head apart from you knowing about it and apart from you having accounted for it. And by faith, Lord, we celebrate the knowledge that the story is going to end well for us. 
because you sent your son into the world to deal with our biggest problem, which is sin and ultimately death. So as each one of us considers our own world and all that is in, within our lives, we just want to reclaim our faith and our knowledge that you are sovereign over all of it. We can make our plans, but you're going to order our steps because you know better than we do. So we're not going to worry. We're just going to anchor down to the rock of Christ and keep moving forward because your word tells us that after everything is over, after this current craziness in the world is over, after our lives are over, all of it, the story ends well for us because you paid the bill for our sin. You defeated sin and death on our behalf so that your goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives and that we could dwell in your house forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, before I send you off, I just want to say what a joy and a privilege it is to be here. And I also just want to acknowledge uh, the leadership of Celebration Center for just being really, really faithful um, to just carry on the work. God is working what he is, is working. And I know that you guys have sort of are proceeding without a really clear roadmap, and that's okay. The life of faith is like that, and God has good things in mind. So uh, normally, I would ask you on your way out to stand and give somebody a high five or a hug, but, um, well, we haven't had church at our church for like six months, so I don't even know what to say at the end, uh, end of all this. So uh, thanks for being here. I love you guys so much. I just pray that you have an incredible, blessed week. Love you guys.